Six weeks on the I am statements of Jesus. Uh, week one, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Uh, week two, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And he goes on with all these things. One, giving a promise to the goodness of who God is, the goodness of Jesus. And it speaks to the deity of Jesus. And now this last I am statement is so important because it comes with a, a couple of things I think every believer ought to know. Amen. And I'm hoping that if you have your, 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 your worship guides on the back of it, you can take notes. Because I want to give you three promises in this one that Jesus speaks to the entire church. Amen. Three promises we'll get to. But before I get there, we're going to read this portion of scripture. And I'm in John, the 15th chapter, starting in verse 1. And Jesus wastes no time. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide, your Bible might say, remain in me and I in you. For as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides or remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, somebody say nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father was glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. For as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will. You will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Come on, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We ask you, God, that you would be in this room. Magnificent worship, God, that we for every single person who participated, God, soul here today, God, and we ask you, Father, that you would have your way in the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church shouts, amen. I am in love with these scripture verses. Because these scriptures here, they both liberate the believer, but they also at the same time give you a certain set of rules in which to live your entire life by. These I am statements, this one in particular, is on the heels of Jesus' statement. It's all happening within the same conversation, and Jesus is speaking to his remaining 11 disciples about all the trials and the death and crucifixion he is about to endure. And Jesus is saying to them, he says, I am the true vine. Now understand, he's talking to 11 distinctly Jewish or Hebrew men who understood Jewish and Hebrew scriptures. And according to the Bible, we understand this. I want you to understand this. All scripture pertains to Christ. 
every, from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, every last scripture speaks of Jesus. If you don't read the Bible with the lens of Jesus, you will not understand the Bible. Every scripture pertains to Jesus. And so Jesus, speaking to these Jews who understand the first five books of their Bible, the the Pentateuch, the Torah, he says to them, I am the true vine. Now, in Scripture, there are people who perform things imperfectly, and Jesus performs them perfectly. So all throughout the Old Testament, now, he's making an Old Testament reference. And if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that Jesus is throughout the entire Old Testament in types and shadows. If you look at the story of Adam, Adam, where he failed in the garden and he ate the fruit, Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane, when tempted to walk away from God's will, he won the battle that Adam lost in his own garden. If you look all throughout Scripture, Jesus is a picture of everyone else. If you look at Abel, the first innocent person to die, he was actually a type of Christ who was the only true innocent person. You look all throughout Scripture, when Abraham left his father's house to become a great nation, it's what Jesus did when he left heaven to to birth the church. You look at the story of Isaac and how Isaac carried the wood for his sacrifice, and that's what Jesus did when he carried his cross to Calvary. If you look at the story of Jacob wrestling with God, that's what Jesus did in Gethsemane when he wrestled with the will of God, and he said, not my will, but your will. Jesus is greater than Joseph in the fact that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, told to be dead, and he was raised to the office in all the land. And then when his brothers came for food, he gave them grace and mercy. Now Jesus was betrayed by his brother Judas, and he was raised, he was killed, and then he was resurrected. You understand this? And he raised up. And now he dispenses mercy and grace to the church. All the Old Testament speaks to Jesus. Jacob walked with the limp after he wrestled with God, but Jesus left the tomb with holes in his hands and feet. He is just a type of Christ. You look at Jonah, and the Bible says Jonah spent three days in the belly of a big fish. And Jesus, he spent three days in the grave, and then he resurrected. And Jonah saved Nineveh. Jesus saved the world. All of Scripture is a type of Christ. You look at the story of Boaz and Ruth, and Ruth was not Israeli. She was not Jewish. She was not of God's chosen people. And if you look at the story, when Boaz, the Hebrew, he redeems Ruth, and he gives his shoe, and he redeems from from his neighbor. The Bible is drawing a picture of how God redeems the world, the Gentiles, the un-Jewish people, you and me through Christ. It's all a picture of Jesus, and Jesus is making an Old Testament reference. When Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem, it's what Jesus would do when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. I am building a new Jerusalem. All the Old Testament pertains to Jesus. When Hosea married a whoring wife named Gomer, and he kept on having to go after her and bring her back and go after her and bring her back, that's like Jesus having to go after us who whore ourselves to sin. Time and time again, we go back to sin. We go back to Jesus, back to sin, back to Jesus. All the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus and you. That is a shadow. And Jesus says, I am this true vine. 
Psalms 80, verse 8, God refers to Israel as a vine. He says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Who did God drive out of Egypt? He drove Moses and all the slaves. And who did he drive out? He brought them to Canaan, the promised land, and drove out the Jebusites, the Parasites, the Hittites, and the Canaanites, and all the tribes. He kicked them out so his people can come in. And so in the Old Testament, Israel is called a vine. Jeremiah 2.21, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of a pure seed. How then had you turned degenerate and became a wild vine? God speaks through Jeremiah, and he's talking to Judah, one of the tribes of Israel, and he says to them, I planted you as a pure seed. Only Jesus is truly pure. And so he's referencing a prophetic messianic prophecy about Jesus. And he said, but you, talking about the Judah, the, uh, Judah, they became sinful. He says, I tried planting you as a pure seed, but you became sinful. Jeremiah 6, 9 says this, the Lord of hosts, they shall glean through you as a vine the remnant of Israel. Like a great gatherer, pass your hand again over its branches. Talking about how God will allow Israel, his choice vine, to fall under judgment and destruction. I have to draw this picture for you that God refers to Israel as a vine. Hosea 10.1, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. What is that saying? It's saying, I set up Israel as a chosen nation. But the more Israel grew, they went into idolatry. The more I gave them, they went into false worship of false gods. And he says, that's the vine that I used to deal with. And now Jesus comes. And you have to look at the entire story of Israel. Israel by itself, the whole nation, is a type of Christ. God's chosen people. God's people set apart. Jesus is chosen. And Jesus is set apart. And so Jesus says, hey, I am the vine. And instantly all these understood what Jesus was talking about. Everything I read is a shadow of Jesus. What, what does that mean? It means, just like me standing right here, there's a shadow on the back curtain. It's little because I'm little. But it's long on the floor. It drags the entire remnant on the floor. And there's also a shadow there, and there's going to be also a shadow right there. And so a shadow is when you look back over something, as we look back over history, as we look back over the Old Testament, and we see Christ now as a shadow in the Old Testament. And so we look back and we read about Abraham. We say, oh, that's what Jesus did. And so Jesus is pointing this out, and he says, I am the vine. I am this vine. All along, it was me. All along, I was the reference to all these scriptures. Jesus then declares this. He says, I'm the vine, and my dad, he's the gardener. Again, all throughout scripture, God is looked as a gardener. He talks about Israel being his vine. He talks about how he's going to prune Israel. The first thing he made on the earth was a garden. God, he is coming in the context now of a gardener. And he says this, the job of the gardener is to ensure the health of the vine. Any gardener 
or vine planter, vine dresser, wants one thing, and that is that vine yields much fruit. He wants the vine to give as many grapes as he can. And he does this by cutting dead weight and pruning good branches. Say it with me. Cutting dead weight, pruning good branches. The vine dresser. There's this vine and branch relationship that Jesus is talking about. He says, I'm the vine. He looks at his disciples. You guys are the branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He develops this picture, this metaphor, and he says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. And dad, my father, he comes to do two things. Cut unfruitful branches and prune fruitful branches. He cuts and prunes. So Jesus, in other words, says there are two types of people who will be attached to me, Jesus. Fruitful and unfruitful. Fruitful and unfruitful. The unfruitful branch is the person that outwardly professes Jesus as their Savior, but inwardly never change. Outwardly, they claim Christ but they're never liberated from their sins because they don't walk in the perfection of the work of Christ on the cross. The, the unfruitful Christian is the one who can remain ungodly for the length of their tenure in the church. They can be in church 10 years and still have the same attitude, the same nasty mouth, the same problems, the same addictions, and going after the same grace of God. There's never perpetual change or growth in them. And this believer, they talk Jesus, they don't live Jesus, they don't act Jesus. They still curse, they swear, they don't give up their sins, they make excuses for them rather than really going to God and laying it. And they stay unfruitful. They don't have the character of Christ. They gossip, they still backbite, and they cause more problems in churches than anything else. Unfruitful Christians. Christians who all they want to do is take from the vine, take from the church, but produce no fruit. Produce nothing. These are the ones who would come and they bear no joy. They don't come with peace. They don't come with the fruit of the Spirit. They come with kindness and goodness. And they can quote scripture at you and they can tell you all types of godly things, but they are broods of vipers, as Jesus said. People who will turn their back on you in a second and they will talk about it and they have no godly character. They're still thieves and liars. And I'm not talking about folks who are struggling with sin but winning. I'm talking about people who don't care to change before God's presence. People who would come in week after week and live the same old way with no consciousness of the price that was paid on Calvary. People who don't see what it takes serve God properly. People who just want to say a prayer and everything to be all right, but never go through the fire and trials of following Christ. For Paul says to Timothy, if anyone will follow Jesus, he will be persecuted. I'm afraid of people who are not tried in their faith. I'm afraid of individuals who don't go through anything. Because if you're tested by the enemy, you're obviously not a threat to the enemy. If he's not knocking, I, I, I say this in many sermons in my past, if you've never encountered on the road of life, headed in the same direction. And so why would Satan confront those who are on the path he's on? 
But if you've encountered hardships, difficulties, trials, and tribulations because of your faithfulness, <laughs> there's a difference. <laughs> See, some people get tried because of their idiocies. And some people get tried because they slept around. And some folks get tried because of bad stories of their money. And some folks get tried for those reasons. But then there are those who are faithful to God, who are stable and grounded and rooted in Jesus and go through all types of hell. But they say, I'm going to stay the course with Jesus because he's worth it. Because I'm bearing fruit in him. Not just in the bad times am I going to run to him, but I'm with him in the good times. How is it that they say it these days among the young people? I'm getting old, so I can say that now, you young ones. And they, they put up all these quotes with some famous rap, whoever's picture on it, like never said it. He wasn't there, I was on the bottom, he didn't move me on the top, whatever. But that kind of applies right here. That we want to rise with Christ, but not die. You want to you get to heaven with all your sins. You want to get to heaven with all the things that you're struggling with and you never really want to go after God. You never study to show you proved. You never, the Bible says pray without ceasing. You never read your Bible and open up the good book and get armed in the word of God. No. This can not. It says, my father... He's got a solution for you unfruitful ones. And that is this. He cuts you off. He cuts you off. But here's the tough part. That, you know what God does to the fruitful ones? He cuts you off. That's why it's so hard to tell who's who. God comes to the ones who are doing good. And you've been praying and maybe you're messing up and you have all. I'm not talking a life of perfection. I'm talking about who are seeking God and struggling in their faith, and, and maybe you're going forward, but you're staying faithful. So faithful, and you're joyful, and you have the peace of God, and, and God says, I'm going to take your job away. I want to see if you're going to praise me. You ain't got no job. Was your prayer based on what I've given you or who I am? And then he'll say, and he'll say, well, I'll allow, it's like a Job story, I'll allow this person to die in your family and see if you still are faithful to me. And, and, and we're crying over the person. The person's gone to glory with God. We're mad at God now. God says, I'll allow this to happen. God doesn't do it. He allows it to happen. He prunes you. He'll put you in situations if you used to have a bad mouth where you want to cut somebody out, but you got to choose, am I going to be faithful or am I going to go back? And so God says, to the healthy ones, who are producing fruit, they're producing patience, they're producing godliness, they're producing good works, I'm going to test them. I'm going to try them. I'm going to prune them too. So he says, the bad ones, I cut them off. The good ones, I'm going to prune. You know, pruning doesn't mean it hurts any less when God works in your life. And so you're, you're, you're walking with God and, and, and God, see... Okay, have you ever made mashed potatoes? My ladies, that you ever made mashed potatoes? That amen. My wife makes the best mashed potatoes, so I feel bad going out to eat because my only standard now is my wife. 
And I just think she's the most amazing cook, and my waistline shows it. And, and so I, I, always, you know, I always praise her cooking, and I'm like, honey, you're the best. And, and I, when, I, when I tell somebody my wife's cooking, you know, all the band's trying to come over. Steve is like, can I come through? And I'm like, no. And I told Daniela fooling around last night. My wife's making pate long. He's like, well, I'm coming over. Like, he just invited himself. And, and because she cooks really good, and, and, so, and so she makes these mashed potatoes, and, and I get the hard job. I have to peel the potatoes. And I don't mind, for those of you laughing in the back, I don't care. And oh, I'm just kidding. And so I'm peeling potatoes, but there's certain parts of the potato that you don't want. The one part that's black. And so you take it and you gouge it out so that you can enjoy the good part of the potato. You ever had like an, an apple and it has a little part, you just cut it out. The whole thing ain't bad. Yep, I was going to say that next. Get a banana. I like the black part. I don't care. Judge me. Whatever. And you get the belief, will take the part that's dark out. Because it's not the good part. And Jesus says, my father, although you are healthy, he will take your attitude out. He will take your sins out. He will take your addiction out. And you're doing good. And it hurts. I wish all the Christians would just be honest right now. It hurts not to be able sometimes to cut somebody out. It hurts to be pruned in that direction. In the beginning, it's like, I can't get it out. It's like, you know, oh! You just want it. And then, it's, if, you, if you ever gossip, you want to tell somebody's business, and you know what I heard, and the Holy Spirit's like, uh. and you're like, uh. no. oh. would you hear nothing, nothing, forget it. I shouldn't have said nothing. And then the person's like, tell me. Oh, come on, tell me. Like, no, no. Because God is pruning you. When you want sin, but you don't, God is pruning you. I wish I had some honest hop back on and watch pornography. God is pruning you to honor your wife, to love your wife. God is pruning you. When you're struggling with things in your life and you want to go and do something, no, nope, God is pruning you. When you were addicted to cigarettes and the first thing in a stressful situation, you want to smoke a Newport 100. <laughs> Conviction, second row, seat seven. They <laughs> know. Why? You are being pruned and God has removed some things from you that you can't no longer go back to. I'm getting in trouble with this one. And, and late night when you're depressed and lonely and you want to make a phone call for a booty call. And you're like, Facebook something. Nope. Just turn that off. Jesus. 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 Like, and you say, you wake up in the morning and you're not dead because you didn't have sex. And you're like, God is good. He's ruining you to no longer desire the things of the world. But to those who would still go smoke, and still drink, go clubbing, and still party repetitiously, and never turn to God for sanctity and just for 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 health, and turn to God for peace and joy, instead of all the things of the world, I'm sorry to tell you, they're unfruitful. Those who are able to say no, I'm standing strong, are the ones who He says. You are fruitful, and I am going to prune you. 
to help you. Time I hear that word prune, I think of prune juice. Every time, y'all know where I'm going with this. I used to work at CVS and all the elderly folks came in for prune. I was 17 years old. I didn't know what prune juice did. I did not know the chemical properties of prune juice were to release your bowels. Soften it up. I didn't know that. And all these people, they're buying prune juice all the time. Like, we sold prune juice like if it was like, see. I knew you would get that one. Okay. And, and they're just, oh, just, Prune juice, prune juice, prune juice. Prune. I'm just like, what is prune juice for? I forgot how I figured it out or what I found out. Or, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, for me, it was apple juice. I stopped drinking that. What are you saying, Pastor, talking about pooping in church? What I'm saying is that maybe you don't like prune juice or to be pruned by God, but when you drink, Prune juice, see where I'm going with this? Some things come out that otherwise would not have come out. And likewise, when God prunes you, there's no other way your addiction will come out. It's not going to come out by self. There's no other way your life will change. It's not by your power. It's by God's. You be pruned by the master gardener. You've got to be pruned by him. God is a gardener all throughout Scripture. When, when Mary erected, she said, are you the gardener? Because he was in original form. Y'all don't realize that. And she didn't see Jesus. She saw the gardener because God is the great gardener. You can go home and stew on that later on. It's fine. He says, some of you, I'm going to cut you off because you're unfruitful constantly. But others... I am going to, somebody say, prune. I thought we've got past prune, amen? He says, I'm going to prune you so you can be more fruitful because my Father is glorified when you are fruitful. He says, I'm going to will take and I will replace your attitude with patience. I'll replace restlessness with peace. I'll replace anger with pure joy from heaven. I'll replace it. I'll replace your money with faith. Amen. I'll replace your job with hope. And you're going to lean and trust on me. He says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you're going to produce much, much fruit. He says in verse 5, one of the hardest verses to understand, not to understand, but to swallow. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing in your life you accomplish apart from God is worth merit. Nothing you do in your life apart from God is worth mentioning. Because Jesus says, nothing you do counts apart from me. I am the vine. Stay connected to me. I am the vine. Be like me. Be Christ-like. You can only bear fruit when you are attached to the vine. You cannot produce fruit for God while detached from Christ and living a willful, sinful life. You cannot produce fruit. He says, you must stay connected to me. You have to let go of 
You have to let go of the sins that so easily beset you. You have to rid yourselves of the lust of the flesh and take on the mind of Christ, bringing every thought that would exalt itself above God under the submission of Jesus. You have to. No choice. He says, abide in me. Apart from God, all success is temporary and fleeting. There is no success apart from him. And Jesus says, abide in me. There's three ways, church, to abide in Christ. The first is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the first. The second is to continue to hold on to him and persevere and believe him for the finishing of your faith that he started. And the third one is to believe uh, through loving obedience in his commandments. Because Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. First John 2, 3, the apostle John, he writes this, and by this we know that we have come to know him. Those verses right there should really perk up your ears. He says, this is how you're going to know if you're walking in a knowing, righteous relationship with Jesus. This is how know if you know Jesus, if you keep his commandments, if you keep his commandments. Recently, when my daughter was coming on her way to be born, me and my wife rearranged our closets, and, and, and we, previously we had separate closets. My closet was in my office. We thought our closet was not big enough for the two of us because uh, she had so much clothes. Truth be told, I had more than her. I don't know how that happened. I was just blessed. And so we, we got to having to put our clothes in the same closet. And, and every morning, I open the closet, and I grab my clothes, and I walk. And every woman just in their head, well, why don't you close the closet door? And that's what my wife says every morning. Louis, Yeah, honey? You didn't close the door. Felipe! Yes? Put down the toilet cover. Okay. Lewis! Yes? Open it. I did. Why didn't you close it? I don't know. Lewis! Yes? And, and then she, one day she walks up to me and she said, she said, you don't love me. Stupid. Why are you laughing at me on my emotional moment? I said, I said, you're stupid. What are you talking about? I do everything for you. You don't do what I say. I'm talking to you people who want to do everything for God but what he says. You work 10,000 ministries, you don't do what he says. You're walking in error. To serve you blue in the face, and I love everything. One of you that serves, I appreciate you. I honor you with my heart. But if you're not walking with what he said, you don't know him. And John says, this is how we that you know him. That you follow his commandments. For whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, that tells you his word is his Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. My God, we know 
because we are doing what he says. John writes that if we claim to be a follower of Jesus and we do not do what he says, if we do not love God, we don't follow his commandments for our life, then we're liars. But when we keep God's commandments, we are totally remaining. He says, abide in me. He means keep my commandments. God desires that you would abide in him. In the Old Testament, the commandments were written on stone tablets, but the New Covenant, it's written on your heart. When you know something's wrong, when you know God's working on you, but you haven't submitted to him, you haven't turned it over to him, you haven't surrendered to him, and we say, I know God, I love God. But right there, he says, if you love God, you're going to do what he says. Jesus also said, this is how God is glorified. He is glorified when you bear much fruit. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Let your light shine. And so you have two things that God wants you to do. Number one, he says, keep my commandments. Number two, do good works and let the world see them so God can be glorified. Follow my commands. Show me you love me. And God will be glorified. How do you bear fruit for God? When you follow his commandments. The problem is that sometimes we choose which ones we want to follow. We say, well, I don't believe this way or I don't believe that way. But the word of God is absolute. If you can't take the word of God as absolute, Christianity would never work for you. You can't take one scripture and not the other. You got to take it all. And he says, if you don't follow my commands... You do not know me. You don't know me. I'll close with this. There's the three promises. Three amazing promises from Jesus. If you have a pen, you want to take these notes, maybe write them in your phone. And the first promise, he says this. He says, whoever, somebody say whoever, abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. That's the first promise from Jesus right there for this I am statement. He says, listen, if you abide, remain, if you follow my commandments, if you do what I've called you to do, if you as a good follower of Christ live the life to the best of your abilities that Christ has written out for you and that's written in the word of God, if you follow him, if you let go of world things, if you let go of all the ungodly things, you're going to bear fruit. And some of you are Christian, you're saved, you love God, but you haven't borne the fruit that God wants from you. You haven't borne the peace, you haven't borne out the righteous birth through you. And I want to challenge you of how good it is to bear fruit for God. I want to tell you how great it is to bear fruit for Jesus. I want to encourage you that it is a good thing because that is how God is glorified. When you walk in joy, when you walk in peace and you confound the devil because everything says you should be stressed and depressed and worried, but you're walking in joy, you're walking in peace, you're walking in God's love, and you're saying, I am convinced of the goodness of my God in the midst of bad times because I am bearing fruit for Jesus. I am bearing fruit for Jesus. And he says this, you bear much fruit. Much fruit. 
worldliness, a lot of godliness. The part that is a problem is that sometimes in our fleshly mindsets, godliness is not attractive to us. Because godliness means less of me and my personal desires and more of God. That's the hardest thing for the believer to walk through. That's the hardest thing for you to do is to lay down your hopes and dreams and pick up his destiny for you. And the greatest way that churches and Christians as a whole that we fail is we try to accomplish everything we want plus everything God wants. Old saying goes, if you chase two rabbits, you're probably going to catch none. And God says, listen, this life is so temporary, it's so fleeting, would you just follow me? Would you just abide in me? Remain in me, Jesus said, in me, remain attached to me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you've ever thought about walking away from Jesus as a way to success, that is utter failure. If you've ever thought about resting in something rather than Jesus, it is failure in the making. He says, abide in me. Love me. Follow my commands. Do what I do. Love like I love. Forgive like I forgive. Give like I give. Serve like I serve. That's how you bear fruit. Ready for promise number two? Just you? All right, all right. Here's promise number two from Jesus. I don't think you, you might not like this one, church. He says, here's a promise. If anyone, when you hear that word, if coming from Jesus' mouth, there's a promise attached. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. What? See, that's confusing because being in God's grip. Talk about God never letting you go. But these, Jesus says, it's, it's kind of like saying, they were never with me in the first place. You were more afraid of the consequences of your sin than you were in love with God. And many people sitting in churches today, they don't love God, we're just really afraid of hell. And he says, listen, if, if you're not attached to me, God's going to cut you away. He said in the book of Luke, he said, the axe is at the root. These are folks who never really put their trust in God. You've never believed in the, the son, said a prayer, and then tried doing it on your own. That's blasphemous. Your faith and hope has got to be in Jesus, for you are saved by grace through in Jesus. And if your hope is in your behavior, if is in anything else but Jesus, you are lost. And he says, you might be on the vine, but I'm going to have to cut you off if you're not connected to me. Because I give you fruit. That's a tough promise to swallow. That's like somebody saying, say that again, I'm going to punch you in the face. And then you're like, you're going to punch me in the face? You ain't nothing. Woo, why'd you hit me? I told you I was going to punch you. Like a child whose parent says, don't do this. And they do it anyways. Why'd you do it? I don't know. Well, I got to punish you. But why? Because I told you not to. He says, listen, this is a promise. God, are you threatening me? No, I don't threaten. This is a promise. That if you have no faith in Jesus, 
If faith is not in the work of Jesus and not your own, and you're not following my commands, you're going to get cut off. Third promise. This one's a little better. It's all right. You ready for the promise number three? Oh, not, now you guys want to come to church. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Promise number three. He says this. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. First John 5.14, it says this, though. And we have this confidence toward him, meaning Jesus, God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked for him. And in layman's terms, he says, we know that when we speak to his will for our lives, God will give you everything you want. God will give it to you. That's the last gave his followers in a personal conversation. He says, if you follow me and you stay connected to me, and as you're connected, you're going to know my will. You're going to know what I want for you. And then when you ask for it, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you whatever you want. You pray for healing, I'll give it to you. You pray for salvation for your family, I'll give it to you. You pray for healing in your body, I'll give it to you. You pray for financial outpouring, I'll give it to you. You pray for this, that, I'll give it to you. When you're in my will, I'll give it to you. Because it's of my will when you're in my will. You see, God's vision is in your life. When you walk in his vision for your life, he only provides for his vision for your life. He does not provide provision for your vision. God only provides for his will in your life. God will provide. That is what Jesus said right there. That's his last big idea to his 11 disciples. He says, when you follow me and you pray according to my will, I'm going to grant it to you. I'll grant you. And here's the thing. Jesus gave that promise twice. Because he gave that promise in I am statement number six. He said to them twice. He reiterated. He said, listen, when you follow me and you're in my will and you pray, whatever you ask for, I'll give it to you. Now, about you, but that's an amazing thing. To know that I can go before, the, before God in prayer, go before the Lord, say, God, I've been seeking you, amen. I've been reading your word. I've been chasing after your will. And now I need this from you. God will provide it. Three promises. He says, whoever abides in me, you're going to bear much fruit. Number two, abide in me, my dad's going to cut you off. And number three, he says, whoever and whatever you pray for in my name, and when you pray, as you're connected to me, I'll give it to you. Because that's how I am. That's the He says that much fruit for him. But you got to be connected to that vine. You got to be connected to Jesus. And maybe you've never given your life to God. Maybe you have. 
you, 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 or that you have not been following his commands for your life. And that means that you don't know him. You know, that's opportunity for you. Because now that you know the truth, you can set yourself free. You can give your life to God. You can work at following his commands. And your salvation is not the fact that you follow his commands. Your salvation is not just the same way as my love for my wife is not because I close the closet door or because I close the cabinet. That's not how I show her I love her. It's good to know that I follow what she tells me to do as a loving husband and still do everything that I'm supposed to do. So I do everything I have to do plus the things she asked me to do. But what do you have to do? You have to put your faith in Jesus. Faith in Calvary. That he laid down his life for you. And then you stay connected to the vine by following his teachings, following his word. That's how you do it. There's no other way to be, to be saved. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to joy. No other way to root peace except through the cross of Calvary. Come on, stand with me and let's bow our heads this morning. No other way. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just no other way. No other way to Jesus but through his will, his commands for your life. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. He's given us promise after promise every week. He's told us time after time again that when we connect to him, we're going to bear fruit. Take of that bread of life. You will never hunger and thirst again. That when you walk in him, the light of the world, he says, you will never walk in darkness. I am the door of the sheep. I will protect you and I will cover you. I will give you daily provision. I am the good shepherd. I will guide you. I will protect you. No one will come to you. I'll lay down my life for you. I am the resurrection. He said, I give you life. He said, I am the I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets but through me. I am the vine. And you've got to stay connected. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking to yourself, I am unfruitful in my walk with God. I, I have been doing things a little backwards. I am fruitful in my walk with God. I want to chat today. Today's your day for salvation. If you know you are unfruitful and you want to re- reconcile with God, you're saying, I need to take a step back. I need to say some prayers. I need to get right your hand as high as you can. Thank you. And thank you. I need to reconcile. I am unfruitful. Thank you. Thank you. I need to do this right. Thank you. Thank you. I am unfruitful. Maybe you've never given your life to God. We're about to say a prayer that can change your life. Come on. If you're saying, Pastor, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You're lifting your hand as high as you can. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Thank you. You're lifting your hand as high as you can. I want Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never made that or maybe I, but I've abandoned it. I want it right now. Come on. You're lifting your hand up. 
Praise God. Come on. Hands are going up all over this room. Come on. I'm starting to celebrate in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. He said, I am the mind. Come on, pray this prayer with me right now. And say it with all of your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm going to try it again because I really couldn't hear none of y'all. And because you got to say this with boldness because now you can boldly approach the Father because of what Jesus did. You can say it with boldness and authority. With all of your heart, dear Heavenly Father, turn over my life to you to be a fruitful Christian. A fruitful Christian. Knowing your will, knowing your commands, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe died on the cross for my sins. I confess with my mouth, I believe it with my heart that Jesus is the Son of God.